You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Our guest on Preaching Source today is Pastor John Metter, pastor of First Euless Baptist Church in uh, Euless, Texas, here in the mid-cities of DFW. Uh, he's been pastor there since August of 2006. He previously pastored in Oklahoma, Texas, and Tennessee. And uh, we are delighted that uh, John is a graduate of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's also a past president of the Southern Baptist Convention's Pastors Conference. Uh, he and his wife, Kim, have six children. They've been married over 40 years. And I'm especially happy today uh, because John is my pastor. So on Sundays when I'm not out preaching somewhere, I'm sitting there under his preaching, and I am always blessed. John, welcome to Preaching Source. Thank you so much, Barry. Glad to be here, especially glad to see you every Sunday morning that you're there as well. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, John is uh, one of the most evangelistic preachers uh, in terms of, of regular pastor, who's, he's not on the road as an evangelist, but just a pastor in his own pulpit, uh, just strongly emphasizing evangelism uh, constantly. And so we want to ask about that. Uh, John, for, from your perspective, what, what do you see as the biblical foundation for evangelism and evangelistic preaching? Well, I think it's uh, really all about the, the pastor himself, and I really think that's the call that Paul gave to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, where he said, you be sober, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That doesn't mean that he replaces the evangelist, who is, which is also a biblical calling, but it means as a pastor at the church at Ephesus in particular, he was to trumpet the gospel call, and he was to lead the way in doing the work of evangelism. So I think that's a biblical basis. I think it all rises and falls on leadership. I think a pastor who, uh, who does, does a good job of being an example of sharing the gospel affects his congregation. It affects the results. It affects the baptiz baptism waters. Uh, it affects his way that his people think. Mm. Uh, John, uh, some pastors are, are reluctant to... Uh, to give strong, repeated invitations because I, I don't, some of them feel like it's being emotionally manipulative or uh, they might be afraid that they're going to force a false conversion. But uh, what, how do you answer those objections to a pastor who's timid about giving strong, frequent invitations? Well, I don't think that the abuses of other pastors should affect what we do, I think they should just make us more uh, careful in how we go about it. Strong biblical preaching that emphasizes repentance and true belief uh, is a good foundation to, to offer an invitation because they've heard the Word. So now they know what the Word says and how to come to faith in Jesus, how to repent of their sins. And I think you should be willing to open up the doors for an invitation after a strong biblical basis. Now, if you're not giving a good biblical basis for faith and repentance, then sure, you can manipulate the invitation in a lot of ways and should never do that. So what one man does uh, to an abuse is not going to keep me from doing the biblical invitation that I believe I ought to offer. But it, it needs to be preceded by a strong biblical message. Mm. Do, do you have a, uh, a standard formula or, or pattern that you use in offering an invitation or that you think about in offering an invitation? Uh, typically, yes. Um, uh, I think that we all 
become kind of creatures of habit, and I, I think that the way I go about an invitation is, is similar in almost every case of a normal Sunday morning. Uh, bring the message to a close and, and be sure that you've covered the gospel or in some way, um, depending on the text, of course, because I'm a textual preacher, uh, making a beeline to the cross one way or another, or summarizing the whole work of redemption at the end in a very uh, brief way, and then saying, you know, the first step for living out the Christian life, of course, is to give your life to Christ and, and to come to the cross and be forgiven of sin and given the gift of eternal life and just bring it down to that and, and then offer that invitation, uh, first of all, to give your life to Christ by putting your faith in Him, repenting of your sins, and we can help you do that. Uh, or rededicating your life if, if there is a, a, an aspect of your life that needs to be brought back to the cross. You need to die to it. You need to repent of it as a believer. Um, who's already put your faith in Christ, then you do that, uh, or to be a part of the church. We just want to make sure those three clear calls are given, in addition to anything very, very specific that the text has given us direction to give. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that has deeply impressed me, uh, just being a part of the congregation uh, at First Euless Sunday after Sunday, has been when people are baptized— uh, I notice that, that almost every time when they're asked for their testimony, uh, they say the same thing, and I found it uh, to, to be a very effective message. I, I've often thought, you know, if I, if I wasn't a believer yet, or if I have trusted Christ but I've not obeyed Him in baptism, I, this, would, this would have effect on me. Talk to me about how you uh, assist the baptismal candidates in giving a testimony. Uh, t- talk to us about that. Well, I think at 33 years of pastoring, I've, I've heard a few strange testimonies in the baptistry. <laughs> <laughs> I've wanted to, to keep a few under the water longer than others. But um, after a time, I realized that the pre-baptism counseling, uh, post-salvation but pre-baptism counseling, uh, was important that we need to walk them through what they're doing is not just their feelings about what's happened, but but they're really echoing back the biblical mandate of, of, of allowing Jesus to be your Savior and Lord and not being ashamed of the gospel or of him. And so we form that, uh, that statement along those lines. My name is John Metter. Uh, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I am not ashamed. And with those words, uh, those who do the baptizing then baptize them after hearing that. So everybody states their name. It's a public profession of faith. They're basically saying, uh, I'm not ashamed of Jesus or his words in this life, and he won't be ashamed of me in that, in the, in the, form, in the future life. And, uh, and I've turned from my sins to place my trust in him. It's true that people that hear that statement over and over, uh, it begins to resonate with them as that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I've, I've often thought that those few brief moments that the person in the baptistry gives their testimony in those very simple words, I've always thought that's a powerful sermon. That's a powerful invitation in and of itself to, you know, for someone to think, maybe I need to follow this person's example. Oh, we love that. In fact, myself. every time we have um, a special service where we have numerous baptisms, we say every time a person is baptized, the gospel's preached again. Because when we baptize them, we say, buried with Christ in baptism into death, raised to walk in newness of life. And that's a very brief message, but it's done multiple times attached to the name of the person that actually responded to the gospel. So you preach the gospel every time a baptism is performed. Mm, it's powerful. I like that. Wow. 
John, how important is it for the pastor of a church to, to take the lead in personal evangelism by example and teaching? Well, that's an explosive question, and I love it because I really believe that that's what's uh, causing the languishing that we have in Southern Baptist life today. Not enough pastors are getting out of the pulpit and into the community leading the way in evangelism. And I believe that the people reflect the pastor, and I, I really believe that he shouldn't uh, have to do everything, but he should lead the way in everything. So as a pastor, I'm involved in personal evangelism. I personally equip our people through something that we developed called Can We Talk? And that's a six-week training course that we take all of our people through it. I've personally taken over 800 of our church members through that over the last four or five years, and we'll continue to do that over and over because for me being present, for me being a comrade to our church members as they are out sharing the gospel means the world to them. It means that they can do what I can do. Uh, because they're equipped to do that, and that fulfills part of my equipping role as a pastor to equip people, equip the saints for the work of ministry. And they can go places I can't go. They can share with people I'll never be able to share with, and it multiplies the witness. Everything about equipping people for evangelism is a biblical mandate that is on the shoulders of the pastor, the lead pastor himself. If he's absent in that role, guess what? We'll have what we have today. People are absent from the activity of gospel sharing. Now, your, your basic method of teaching evangelism is can we talk, uh, and you do that on, on a recurring basis at First Euless, but you've also uh, gone other places to teach that. Right. Talk we a little actually, bit about doing that for other churches. Oh, it's, it's been great. We, um, our church actually allowed us to start a nonprofit, and we call that uh, One Conversation, and um, it's got a website, oneconversation.org. Uh, we've done, I think, over 100 pastors' conferences in the last three years, trained some 700 pastors and, and many other church members to be able to do just what we're talking about, to share the gospel in a casual, everyday conversation. And really our bottom line is, and my bottom line as a pastor is, that the future of the world depends on the average believer being able to share the gospel. Not the pastor, but the pastor leads the way for the average believer. And until that happens... Our nation will never hear the gospel well. I want to ask you about two things that, that I uh, have witnessed several times at First Euless that impressed me deeply about evangelism. One of them is the annual cross service that leads up to Easter. Uh, talk a little bit. How long have you been doing that? And, and talk a little bit about what led you to do that and, and what you do in the cross service? I think 25 years ago at, at a Promise Keepers conference, a man named Joe White um, carved a cross with an axe while he preached to the men at Promise Keepers. And I was up in the nosebleed section a long way off. There weren't large screens where I could see that, but I was impacted over that huge distance by just looking at that cross. More than what he said, it was the visibility of the cross, the visual. And uh, so I tried that with a youth group where I was pastoring in Tennessee, and it really was amazing how the Lord blessed that. I started doing that every year uh, at the church I pastored at Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, pre-Easter. We would rent a large tent, get three or 4,000 people in there, and I would, I would preach the cross while chopping that cross, raise it up at the end, and then invite people to come to the cross. So I've been doing that for 21 years. I think we have 10 more men now who have walked with me through that, and they're doing it in churches all over. But the whole heart of that is to see and hear at the same time. 
um, what the Word says about the cross. And really, the, the scarlet thread of redemption is really what the message is from Genesis all the way to the cross and beyond. But to see and hear the reality of that cross, to hear that axe, to hear the, uh, the, um, the hammer hit those iron nails as they go into the side, uh, to see a crown of thorns visually nailed to the top of the cross, and to lift a cross up with nobody on it, of course, but lifting that, that bare, bold, raw cross up, uh, it's powerful in its impact when the word with it is shared. That cross weighs about six or 700 pounds. It's 20 feet tall uh, when I first began on it, and um, it's, it's just unmistakably uh, powerful. Well, the what wood chips fly, and the the platform becomes littered with wood chips. It's uh, it, it's it's dramatic. It's not something you see every day in a in a church auditorium, and it 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 just makes such a strong impression. I uh, I'd encourage anybody who who's never seen this to come uh, to one of those cross services or to to look at video of it. Uh, but it, it's very dramatic. One of the things that impressed me about that is that um, often uh, we struggle in, in the modern secular society often sees Christianity as something that's feminine but not masculine. And sometimes uh, church is a hard sell for men. So one of the, uh, one of the it's a side effect of, of the, the cross service is imp- impressive to anybody. But I, I thought, especially for men, to see a large, muscular, uh, lumberjack-looking kind of preacher uh, back there, uh, you know, uh, axing out, hacking out a cross, I, that, that, that was impressive to me as a guy. I said, hey, this is, this is for guys as well as for, for gals here. So. It is powerful. And, and I think one of the great things about the, um, the whole visual is to see what Christ actually went through and lived through it all until the moment of his death. All the torture, the scourging, I actually uh, talk about the scourging, and uh, all the brutality of that, what he did for us was quite astounding. And it really paints a picture of the man, the man Jesus, and uh, all he did for us. And it is, I would say, many, many men have come to faith in Christ after seeing that um, uh, when they had not come to faith up to that point. These were grown men, 30, 40, 50-year-old men who for the first time come to faith. Uh, you do that uh, approaching every Easter. Usually Good Friday. Uh, usually Good Friday, it and uh, it, it's an occasion for members of the congregation to bring right. their family and friends and unchurched That's neighbors right. to come and see and hear a dramatic biblical presentation of the gospel. That's so, right. That's right. Uh, all right, the other thing I want to ask you about, and I thought at the time, the, I've, I've seen you do it several times prior to... Uh, well, on baptism days, big baptism, we baptize people all the time, but we, we have those special baptism days when we emphasize it, you emphasize it. And I I saw it, and I thought, this has got to be the gutsiest invitation I've ever seen a guy do. Uh, but you uh, you invite people to follow Christ, but you, you invite them to physically follow you, to get up and follow you as you walk through the auditorium. Describe that that invitation to me. How'd you come up with that? And, and talk to me about how that works. Describe for our uh, listeners what you do and, and why you Well, do at Euless, um, we have a 3,000-seat auditorium, so it's pretty broad, and it's really uh, intimidating for people to walk down the aisle uh, by themselves in that crowd and, 
And uh, I remember doing a cross service, and in the middle of the cross service, as I was starting, starting to give a, a standard invitation to invite them just to come walk to the front and give their lives to Christ, I felt the impression of the Holy Spirit, and it was just go to them. And uh, nobody in our uh, staff had any idea what I was doing. They thought I was crazy, they told me later on. But I told them, I said, you don't have to walk to the cross alone. I walk with you. Jesus came to the people and said, follow me. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So I'm just going to walk by every section of the building. If you want to come to the cross with me to give your life to Christ, stand up and walk with me. And so I thought, if just one person stands up and follows me, that'll be a bold act of repentance and faith. And, uh, but it will show that we understand how hard it is to make that decision. Uh, we don't make the decision easier, but we make them uh, be able to know you don't have to do it alone. And that's literally true. You never have to come to Christ alone. You as an individual come, but there are always believers around you willing to walk with you. So uh, I began walking through the auditorium, and, and uh, about 15 seconds into it, it was a long 15 seconds, Barry. Nobody even <laughs> moved. And about 15, 20 seconds into it, a young man stood up. And I was stunned by how the whole congregation erupted in cheers. They were just rejoicing that one man would stand up and began to follow me to the cross. And by the time that service was over, more than 35 men and women stood up and followed me to the cross. Now, this is not something that just children respond to. In fact, children are often there with parents, and parents hold them back a little bit because they want to make sure they understand and have the conversation. But So usually this is an adult response. Um, but But... I have been doing that for a number of years, and at Euless, that's how we do it because it's such a large auditorium, we walk through it. But it was always at the prompting of the Lord, and now it's pretty regularly I feel like I'm supposed to do this. Um, and I, I just you know, have a visual of Jesus going to the disciples and saying, follow me. And you know, it wasn't a sawdust trail as much as it was, okay, just follow me because I'm going to go to the cross over these next three years. You're going to follow me and watch me. So it's like that. It's literal, it's visual, but it's uh, also someone's coming with you. But those are truly, truly strong decisions. Immediately after they get to the cross, uh, I lead them in a brief prayer and hand them off to counselors. And so for the next 10 minutes, they're talking to counselors about what this decision involves, making sure it's not emotional, that it is a volitional decision of the heart that says, I want to put my faith in Christ. It's powerful. It's fun. It's It's a blast. Wow. Our guest today on Preaching Source has been John Metter, past president of the Southern Baptist uh, Convention's Pastors Conference and uh, the pastor at First Euless in Euless, Texas. And uh, John's website again for his uh, course in personal evangelism is oneconversation.org. That's one, uh, the uh, O-N-E, oneconversation.org. And you can learn more about his Can We Talk course in personal evangelism. And uh, we encourage you to check that out. John, thank you for being with us on Preaching Source today. Thank you, Barry. My pleasure.